0: The first time it happened, the clock on my nightstand read 3 a.m. I had just woken up in a panic, breathless, beating my pillow with my fist. I covered my face with my hands. What in the world is going on? My heartbeat was so strong and so fast I could feel it pulsating in my neck. I rolled over onto my back, stared at the murky ceiling, and took several deep breaths. Calm down. It was just a bad dream. Shake it off go back to sleep, but it hadn't been a dream at all. It was a betrayal and one that had been all too real. Now wide awake, I watched all of the scenes play out across the ceiling like a disaster movie my life had become in the last three months. I rehearsed every decision I'd made or failed to make that left me blind to the unfolding scheme. I obsessed over every detail of every conversation, every plot twist, every rabbit trail ad nauseum. Instead of lashing out at those who had betrayed me, I saw every scene as a launch pad for lashing out at myself. You are so stupid. How could you not see this coming? What an idiot. Why are you always so trusting? It's over for you now. There's no bouncing back from this one. What a disgusting mess you are. You're completely powerless to pull yourself together. Then I'd move on to the next scene and lash myself all over again, pounding my fist into my pillow out of anger and self-loathing. After the final scene, which had no happy ending, I went back and started the movie and the self-flagellation all over again. When my fist-pounding eventually woke up my wife, Roseanne, I convinced her I had just had a bad dream. The next night, it happened again. The next night, Like clockwork, it happened again. This time I actually wanted to wake up Roseanne on purpose because I was frightened and didn't want to be alone in the madness. What's happening to me? Where's this going? I'm not the only person who's experienced this kind of trauma so why can't I let it go? Snap out of it already. But I couldn't snap out of it and I felt powerless in the face of my pain. I was not on a good path and I knew it. I wanted to turn things around, but I couldn't. I felt as if I was being drawn deeper and deeper into a dark vortex, and I couldn't do anything to stop it. You don't sing anymore, Roseanne said one day about two weeks after the betrayal. Anybody who has ever been around me for even a week knows if I'm not talking, I'm singing. Roseanne suggested I try to sing again. So I tried, but nothing happened. I couldn't do it. My spiritual laryngitis would continue for months to come. I also lost my ability to connect with friends and and with family. I started to pull my family and friends down into the pit with me, which only intensified my pain and feeling of powerlessness. Speaking of food, I lost my appetite for it. I actually lost my willpower to eat. When some people go through hard seasons, they binge eat, turns out I stop eating. Roseanne tried to entice me back to some food that she made that were my favorite dishes, but I wasn't biting. Another item on my loss list was my drive and desire to succeed. I was trapped in a deep valley of despair and saw no way out. By the time the late night pillow beating episodes hit the three month mark, I knew I had to do something. It was time to see a doctor, actually, more than one, I desperately reached out to a host of doctors, all Christians, a primary care physician, a licensed counselor, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. Randy, you are definitely experiencing clinical depression, my psychiatrist said. I was now six months into the fallout from this disaster, and my doctor's words meant I was nowhere near being done with this nightmare I was living in. She prescribed stronger medicines, meds I knew were highly addictive. Once I started taking them, I couldn't just decide to take one day to stop them. I had to wean off of them slowly. and This frightened me. But the fact that my doctor considered my condition severe enough to warrant such powerful medications frightened me even more. When it was time to take the purse pill, I hesitated. I didn't want to take it but I also felt I had no alternative. Roseanne stood by my side at the kitchen counter, and as I held the small white pill in my hand, my body shook, and I began to cry. I wrapped my arms around Roseanne as my knees buckled. Dear God, I prayed, help me. Finally, I swallowed the first pill. After 10 days of pills and no sign of change, the doctor concluded, This was not the medicine for me after all. How many more pills do I have to take before I find something that works? Is this my new normal? Is this how my story ends? So, I know that I'm not alone in my experience. And I actually see you. You think you're hiding just like I did but a lot of people around you know that you're struggling, they do. As a matter of fact, I am grateful for the experience that I have because it has made me a better pastor because I can empathize with your struggle. Most of the time you can see it in the eyes. Maybe you've seen somebody, it's in their eyes. I also want you to know something that's very important at least here at Westside Family Church, and that is, it's okay not to be okay. You don't have to come here pretending. I also want you to know that you're not alone. It's not just me, but it's a lot of people. We just did a lot of research, and oh my goodness, I don't even know where to begin, but let me just throw a few, few things up. Let's start with the globe. Research tells us that mental disorders are making Uh, mental disorders are the leading cause of disability worldwide. As we narrow in from the globe, we go into uh, North America, and we look at a couple of statistics. Number one, the World Health Organization recently uh, released this scientific brief that says that, uh, I think we're going to go into the next one. Oh, is is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the global prevalence of anxiety and depression has increased 25% since the pandemic's arrival in 2020. Listen to this. Anxiety is now the number one issue for women and the number two issue for men behind alcohol and drugs. It could be that men are not talking about it. They're just drinking about it. Here's another one. Gen Z, those born between 1999 and 2015, is the most stressed out generation ever. There's never been a more stressed out generation than this group of people. And finally, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for young people ages 10 to 24 We zero in a little bit further into the state of Kansas, and we've talked about this, and we'll continue to talk about it because we were shocked and surprised by it, but Kansas ranks dead last in mental health among 50 states, including Washington, D.C., making us number 51. We are dead last. And then as we zero in even closer to Johnson County, this is what we read. The Good Faith Network confirmed mental health as the priority, the scale of mental health needs in Johnson County is heartbreaking, which we know without a doubt that that bleeds over into Wyandotte County as well. Here's the deal, we wanna hear from you. We don't uh, shepherd statistics, but we shepherd people, and so I want you to get out your phones. Whether you're here at Lenexa or Speedway or you're watching online, I want you to get out your phones and we're going to put a number up on the screen and I want you to text the word health to this number and it's going to shoot back to you a survey and I just want you to put down uh, on the survey, uh, it's uh, de-identified, meaning no one knows what you're putting down, be honest, which one of these have you struggled the most with? Which one of these have you struggled the most with? Maybe in the past, maybe in the present, or the one that you feel is the one that is uh, the biggest struggle for you? There is an opportunity to put none if that is you. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, when I hadn't struggled with depression, I would have put none. I would have said, man, I don't struggle with anything. Yeah, and there's like three of us in the room, so uh, congratulations. So uh, you're going to ask the survey now. What we're going to do, it'll start populating here in a second, and we're going to be able to see in real time uh, this number in terms of the percentage of where you're at. And at the end of the service, after uh, because it has to go to space and back before we get back down, uh, and at the end of the service, we'll show you the total of everyone who's looking at uh, this information in this service, okay. So continue to do that, and as you do it, I want to talk to you about four buckets. Uh, because I, I tell you this because you're in church, and I'm a pastor, and I'm going to have a tendency of seeing. I'm going to have a tendency of seeing um, uh, every issue related to mental or emotional health as a spiritual issue. Right? When you're a hammer, you see everything as a nail. But I want to clarify up front, not. Everything is caused by a spiritual underrooted issue, okay? There are four buckets. The first one is called situational. You know what? Life happens. And what happens is we experience betrayal, or we experience a, a divorce, or we experience a death and someone around us. We get dumped, we get fired, we experience trauma. We go to the military and uh, we, we see things that we didn't want to see and what happens is our body, our minds react to it. It's situational. That's what happened to me. It started as situational and we spend a bit of time in a bit of gloom and doom and blues, but we pop out of it. Uh, the second category or second bucket is called clinical. Clinical is where your trauma or your depression or your blue or your anxiety goes on too long and as a result, you need some intervention. You're not gonna be able to get out of this by yourself. This is what happened to me. The betrayal led me into, my my psychiatrist said, into the basement of my brain where the fear system is at, and I tried to fix it myself, and I stayed in the basement too long, and then when I desperately wanted to get back up above, I couldn't get up there by myself, and I needed intervention, I needed counseling, I needed medicine, I needed therapy, I needed God. Now, the third bucket is called medical. Some of you are dealing with a medical issue. You didn't ask for it. You didn't cause it, but it's a reality in your life. You have OCD. You have uh, ADHD. You have bipolar. You have schizophrenia, and these are things that are going on in your body. Just like someone has cancer, someone also can have an issue related to mental or emotional struggles, and this is something that you may have to deal with your entire life, or there could be freedom from it. There could be healing but it's a medical issue and I just can't look at you and say "Ah, oh, you just need to have more faith you need to have more faith you know what's wrong with you because that's not the root and I don't want to come across that way in this series and the last one though is spiritual It is true that for some of us, the root cause is spiritual. You're not taking God serious in your life and you're living in a dark place. James chapter five, read that later on this afternoon, tells us that when someone is sick physically or mentally or emotionally, the root cause can be spiritual and affects every aspect of your life and you're supposed to go to the elders and they anoint you with oil and they pray for that you might experience healing. So there are some issues that are at the very root cause they are spiritual so I get you you're not alone but I think as we turn to the scriptures the first stopping place is with a guy named David and I'm here to tell you that David of the Old Testament gets you, most uh, people believe, scholars believe that David of the Old Testament King David was at the very least clinically depressed, he was living in the basement of his brain. And out of it, he wrote a number of Psalms. I want you to listen to Psalm chapter six. And here you're going to hear the language of a person who is in trouble. He said, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all of my foes. Psalm chapter 38. I I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish in my heart. That is the language of a person who is struggling. And David writes these out in the Psalms, but one of the things is that he does not just com- uh, complete his Psalm in a lament. But he always makes the turn. Sometimes I'm sure he's forcing himself to make the turn to declare that he is going to lean on God and he is going to trust God. And this is what my primary care physician, who was my primary pastor through my dilemma with clinical depression, he encouraged me every single morning after I ran a 5K, because that releases endorphins, he said, sit down with a cup of coffee, decaf for me. You do not want to see this on caffeine. And he, said, uh, and he said, read a psalm and then journal what God is speaking to you. And so I actually brought, it gives me <clears throat> a little bit of tenderness to pull this journal out from when I did this, but I wanted to read one of the uh, journal writings. This is from Psalm 81. Today is a very empty day, at least empty morning. We woke up to the gnawing sense that we that our circumstances have not changed. And now I'm using the word we because I have drug Roseanne into this experience with me. We will experience more change ahead. In the meantime, we must trust, we wait, we listen in the midst of the silence. Today is David's 30th birthday and we so wish that we were with him we have put our lives on hold and are failing to plan for the truly precious moments in life. So I embrace the promise of today's Psalm, Psalm 8110. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. While things seem bleak today, we will open wide our mouth and our hearts, trusting you will fill it. Trusting I have not peaked, that my best days are not behind me. We are believing this is going to all make sense one day, maybe even soon. Until then, we praise your name. When it comes about, we will praise your name. Now I must identify a few things that need to be done and do it. Give me your wind at my back today, Lord. Amen. I wrote, Uh, that I needed to do so few things and you think what's the big deal about that but at this moment in time I was spending a good portion of my day on the couch immobilized and I just said God I gotta move I gotta keep moving give me the thing I need to do today your thing and help me be able to move forward one of my favorite of David's psalms probably one of your favorite psalms is Psalm 23 and I'm gonna put it on the screen I'm gonna ask you to read it out loud with me like the whole thing okay let's do it ready You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Up until last year, I thought the valley of the shadow of death was a metaphor for death. Until last year, there was a group of us who were in Israel together. I'm actually seeing some of you right now. And uh, we actually stood at a physical place called the Valley of Death. And one of our uh, members who is a professional photographer took this picture. This is not from a magazine. This is us standing behind the valley of the shadow of death. It is a real place. It is a journey that one must take if they're going to get from Jericho up to Jerusalem. And you'll notice the winding valley at the bottom. And what happens is that there are places where there are shadows. And no matter where the sun is at during the day, there are places where the shadows never are removed and bandits and robbers would hide out in those shadows waiting for you to come by and they would beat you and they would steal from you and oftentimes they would leave you for dead and that is why it's called the valley of the shadow of death and young David when he is a boy tending to his father's flock would traverse this area and there's no way he could avoid the valley of the shadow of death But because of his relationship with God, because he kept pressing in, he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want you to notice that David did not pray that God would remove him from the valley, but that God would be with him through the valley to comfort him and to guide him. Uh, that really moment overwhelmed my life and I picked up a rock that I carry with me. This is an actual rock from the valley of the shadow of death. And I hold on to it and I rub it and I go, and I remind myself, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You are with me. I have to be in this valley today. I know it. It's not your will for me to be out of the valley. That's okay. But I need your presence to be with me the, the new uh, merch that we've created, this is the, one of them that I picked today. It says, fear is not my future. So between this shirt and this rock, I'm having a really good day. Yeah, a really good day. Now, the question is, um, who gets you? The answer is, I get you. You're not alone, and David gets you. But most important of all, Jesus get you i'd like to call your attention to hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 the writer pens these words for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin if you take a closer look at that you will see that uh Uh, Jesus is declared as the Son of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is transcendent and that he is above all of the struggles of life, all of the valleys of life. He is the Son of God, and he has the power to kick the stuffing out of any stronghold in our life. His place of residence today is on a throne next to God the Father, He has the power to overcome any stronghold in our life. And here's the deal. He's for you. You may not be for him today, but he is for you. Can I get an amen? Not only that, but he's referred to as the great high priest. What does that mean? The great high priest. Well, in the Old Testament, a priest was a mediator between us and God. Look at First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. What, what 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 he's saying here is that in the Old Testament, when sins had not been paid for, we could not have direct access to God. We needed to have priests who went before us, layers, before we could get to God. But now that sins have been paid for, we have direct access to the great high priest who sits next to the Father, and you can go to him directly. You don't even need a pastor. You don't need a priest to go directly to the throne of God. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's basically, there's no Kevin Bacon six degrees separation between you and God. It's just you and then God. It would be like having the President of the United States on your uh, cell phone, in your faves, right? You call up, boom, hey Joe, April 15th's coming up and I'm not happy about this tax situation. I'm gonna really need you to do something about that. All right, you got it? Okay, thanks. And I use the word Joe not to be disrespectful because we are told we can go to the throne of God and refer to God the Father as Daddy. There is an informality because there is a relationship. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But in in the reality that he is the Son of God and he's the great high priest, we're also told in this passage that he, during his 33 years of walking on this voluntarily took on flesh and voluntarily put himself in a very vulnerable place of powerlessness so that he could empathize with our weaknesses. He could empathize with our weaknesses. Everything that you are going through, that you think you're going through alone, Jesus said, I went through that same emotion. Some of you may have seen, if not you will, have seen the commercials called He Gets Us. Anybody have seen a He Gets Us commercial? If you watched the Super Bowl, you saw two of them. And the question is, how did the commercials on Jesus fare against the 54 commercials that were shown during the Super Bowl? And the answer is the first one was ranked number eight, and the second one was ranked number 15. Not too bad with the world watching in terms of Jesus. And the purpose of these commercials is to let the world know that Jesus gets you. That he does, in fact, get you. A matter of fact, I made a list of things that you might want to take a look at. They're on the Westside app. If you're trying to take notes, they're all there. Consider this. Jesus was homeless. Jesus' Jesus's family thought he was crazy. See, you're not the only one. Right? Jesus' best friends turned their back on him. Jesus' close friend betrayed him for money. Jesus stood face to face with the devil and endured all his demonic tricks. Jesus dealt with death. Jesus endured gossip and slander. Jesus was publicly shamed. Jesus endured seasons of hunger. Jesus was criticized and mocked. Jesus was rejected. Yeah, he gets us. So the question is, what is our response to this? And over the next seven weeks, as we talk about the lies that Satan tells us, we talk about suicide and harm and anxiety and depression and stress and burnout and all of these topics, we're going to give you very specific things to think about and to do. But today, I want to call your attention to the next verse in Hebrews chapter 4, which is verse 16. The writer says, Let us, let us Approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We are invited here to approach that throne of grace with no human mediator. Now, one of the things you need to know about the He Gets Us movement is that uh, whenever a person... um, uh, clicks on, he gets us, after they've watched the commercial, it goes to a church. And Westside Family Church is one of the churches that that prayer request will go to. And we have a team led by Gary Kendall and Sue Pierce that receive these, and they pray for them and reach out to them and are available to connect with them. We get uh, about 30 of these every single month. And this is the one I got last night. It's just the very last one I got I don't know who this person is, and, uh, but this is what she wrote. Hi, I want to request prayer for me and my family. My daughter's having anxiety attacks and my husband has just been diagnosed with depression. I'm tired and overwhelmed. I'm starting to feel depressed and anxious myself, which is affecting my daughter even more. We're being invited to go to the throne of grace, to find mercy and grace in our time of need. I want you to note though, that this text did not say that we will be healed. It just simply says that we go to the throne of grace that we might find comfort, that we might find help. Sometimes it is God's desire, it's his will to heal you right away, Other times, he has a purpose for you, like I feel like he did for me during the eight months that I struggled. He had a purpose for me, but he will never leave you. He will provide help and comfort as you must traverse through the valley. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but uh, my mom uh, found out that she had pancreatic cancer. And uh, she was uh, 62 years of age, which is startling to me, because that's how old I am right now. This was the year. And uh, I went to be with my mom, and my mom was afraid. It was terror was on her face. She was afraid of dying. My mom had accepted Christ. She had established on her stone, 1976, I was 74. She was 76 if you were here last week, but she never really had the opportunity to grow her faith. She was never in a community of believers that would help you intensify your faith as you approach death, and so she was frightened. And I have to tell you, it was so hard for me to watch my mom's face. The one who brought me into the world had sacrificed everything for me. She was scared to death. And I went into the hospital chapel at the Cleveland Clinic and I prayed my most intense prayer to God. I was actually laying on the floor. And I said, dear God, my mom is scared. And I'm scared too, but she can't go through the valley of shadow of death alone. Let me go into the valley with her let me go in with her and i heard in my spirit not an audible voice but i heard in my spirit randy i'll let you take her so far but when you get to the bottom you're going to have to let her go but i will be there and i will take her the rest of the way and she'll be dancing on mountains pretty soon and that's exactly what happened and today my mother is healed And I still wondered, what was the purpose? And sometimes you'll never know the purpose, but I went to my home that I grew up in, and I told my dad, who was ornery and would never listen to his preacher son, and I said, Mom's died. And I said, Dad, I'm not leaving until we have one more conversation about Jesus. And it was on that day that my dad trusted Christ as his savior, and he passed away when he was 81, and he is now healed too. When I was going through the struggle that I was reading about at the opening of this service, I wanted God to heal me, but it appears that it was his will for me to be in the valley for eight months to to work out his good plan for me. And I feel like today I am a better pastor because of the eight months but through god's word, through prayer, through journaling, through community, through therapy, and through medicine, eventually i came out of the valley. i have even forgiven my betrayers. i like really forgiven them. last week, the chief instigator reached out to me and we talked. we will never be best friends again. no sorry bob. but there is healing and there is forgiveness. And you know what? I'm singing again. If I'm not talking, I am singing. God has gave me back my voice again. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you an opportunity to come to the throne of grace. I want you to take action, and we don't do this very often, but what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you if you're struggling today, if you're struggling, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. I'm going to ask you to stand here in the front, and I'm going to lead you and me in a prayer as we approach the throne of grace. It could be situational, clinical, medical, spiritual, or maybe you're in a situation where um, uh, you want to come on behalf of somebody, someone who's struggling like your son or your daughter or your parent or a friend, and you want to come on behalf of them, or you're the caregiver. Roseanne, if, if she were here right now in this service, she would already be down here. She's like, man, that was the hardest eight months of my life. She could never share her own struggle. She could never share it because she, afraid, she was afraid it would take me deeper and darker into my hole. So for eight months, all of the trauma that we felt, she kept it to herself for my sake. And Being a caregiver, even if it's not just mental, emotional, but it's, it's, it starts with physical illness. Or maybe that's your issue. There's a physical illness in your life and it's now reached your mental and emotional state and you want to approach the throne of grace. Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to have the courage to just come and stand right here in the front. We're going to sing a song and then after that song, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Okay? So be standing to your feet and if you'd like to enter into that throne of grace, I'd invite you to come. So, uh, it was a... Uh, I- force myself out here uh, ahead of time to look at your faces. 20 years ago, I would have pretended and said, hey guys, sorry about all this, but today I feel you and I know what it's like to be in a dark hole and you really don't believe that there's a way out. Some of your stories I know because you've told them to me. Others I don't. Um, We've got the the results, I think, from the survey. I think we're going to put those up, maybe. So 1% suicide and harm with the number of people who have taken that to study, because it's not just here, but it's Speedway, and it's all around the world during this hour, that's a lot of people, and maybe one of them is you. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is we're gonna enter collectively into the throne of God. And uh, I'm gonna ask you, and those of you sitting in your seat, you can also do this. I'm gonna ask you to open up your hands like this, and we're gonna do this together, okay? your God right now based upon your promise we enter to the very throne room where you are at Father and Son Holy Spirit in us we enter into your throne room based upon the sacrifice of Christ that gives us the right to enter you've invited us to enter and now I ask that the people standing before me would tell you what, you, what they want. So I'm going to invite you to do that now. Just tell God what you want. You say, Randy, he already knows. He wants to hear it. Maybe it's for you. Maybe for someone else. Heavenly Father, I now pray on behalf of these people. As an under-shepherd, right now I'm going to pray for healing. Whatever stronghold is wrapped around the life of this person or the person they are standing on behalf of, I would invite you because you're strong enough and you're big enough and your love is amazing that you you would heal. You can do it. You can do it now. And it is our will that you would do that. And we invite you to do it now, and we've seen you do it in the past, and we know you're going to do it in the future, and we're inviting you to do it now. But as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will, we, we know that you have a bigger plan, and sometimes it is your will for us or the people we're here on behalf of. It is, there's a purpose for us to be in the valley and so i'm going to ask you father that that you would if that is your will i'm asking that you would be with them in the valley that they would invite you by the hand into the valley with them and that you would be their comfort and that you would be their help that you would grace them and that you would blanket your mercy upon them that they would not fear the evil that they're staring down but they would believe that there is hope and they believe that you've got this and they believe that you're going to give them the next small step that they must take maybe now believing that it's never going to end but may you infuse them with your faith right now that it is going to end and there's going to be healing there's going to be a mountaintop and now i want you to look at me This is a prayer that I I do for my kids all the time. I want you to take your hands, and I want you to go like this. You don't need to bow your head, just look at me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would surround every person here. You would surround them with your presence, that your angels that you've assigned to them would protect them and, and, and remind them that they are loved by you. Then I want you to go like this. I want you to take and draw it in close to your heart. And Father, I pray that they would be drawn closer to you today. That they would feel your actual presence. That you love them. That you believe in them. That they would not believe the lies, but they would believe you. And that you love them so deeply. Now I want you to go like this. Just go like this. And Father, I pray. I pray that you would lead them into your paths of righteousness. They must keep moving but may they move according to the steps that you have given them. It's hard when someone has betrayed you to move toward forgiveness. It's hard when the illness has overtaken you to move toward health. It's hard, but I pray that you would give them the strength to take a step toward healing. Now go like this. And Father, I pray that you would blow wind at their back. I pray that you would blow wind at their back that they may feel your favor today. Maybe they have not felt your favor in a long time because they have believed the lie, but may they feel your favor coming from the throne of grace and mercy. Now hold your hands high in the air. And Father, today, oh my God, today we praise you. If we must be in the valley, we praise you. If we must be in the valley, we will trust you until you heal us We will trust you, and we will praise you. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. You can go back to your seats.